What's going on, everybody? My name is Kieran Dooley. Uh, thank you guys for tuning back in to Dooley's Premier League Update. Today, we're going to be talking about match week 30 for the Premier League, and um, we're going to go all of go over all of the results from the games on Saturday, April 3rd, Sunday, April 4th, and Monday, April 5th. First game up for the weekend was a bout between Chelsea and West Bromwich and Albion. Pretty dominant match for um, an unlikely hero, which is West Brom. You would think Chelsea would have won, you know, it's Chelsea, one of the best teams in the Premier League, and they end up losing to West Brom. But I don't want to spoil it. I I like telling it how it happened. So, game starts. Um, Thiago Silva, Brazilian center back for Chelsea, he um, immediately picks up like a yellow card right outside the box. Like one of the first few plays of the game, you know, he picks up a yellow. So now it's a pretty unfortunate thing because your main center back, because they run a three-back formation where it's like three center backs and then they have like five midfielders and the two outside wingers are actually wing backs. They're not actually forwards. They're defensive backs. They're just quality forwardly. So he gets a foul, gets a yellow card, booked. Game goes on. You know, Christian Pulisic, who's an American that plays for Chelsea, he uh, scores one goal in the 27th minute to put Chelsea up 1-0. And then um, in the 45th, 7th and 49th minute, Mateus Pereira for West Brom scores in like the injury time right before um, halftime. So they go up 2-1 before half. And then in the 29th minute, uh, Thiago Silva, who got that uh, first yellow card in the first few minutes of the game, fouls and picks up a second yellow, which is an, a red card, which means your team plays a man down, and the person who was dealt the red card is suspended for two games. Or one game, excuse me. So the game is uh, 2-1 at halftime. Chelsea's down to 10 men. West Brom full strength with 11. The games usually only end one way when that happens. The team with more players wins. Unless you're Manchester United back in 1999 pulling stuff out of your butt. And then... Moving on into the game, we have um, in the 63rd minute, we got Callum Robinson scoring uh, the third goal for West Brom. And then in the 68th minute, we got Diagne, Mabai Diagne, in the 68th minute, scoring for West Brom's fourth goal. Scores 4-2, or excuse me, 4-1, sorry. And then in the 71th, 71st minute, Mason Mount, which is a center attacking mid for Chelsea, dribbles up the field, puts one back in, consolation goal, uh, scores 4-2. And then Callum Robinson again in the 90th minute, plus one of injury time, scores West Brom's fifth and final goal of the match. Here are the stats for the game. As far as the possession went, we had Chelsea with 66%, with West Brom's 33. Eight Chelsea shots on target to seven West Brom shots on target. Total shots were 18 to 14 in Chelsea's favor. 
again touches Chelsea's favor, 756 to 505. They almost doubled West Brom's passes with 600 to West Brom's 297. West Brom was a little more of the defensive team. I mean, I mean, obviously they won five two. They still gave up two goals. You know, I'm sure they much. I'm sure they would have much rather have had a um, shutout. But you know, you can't always get that. They won in the tackles department, uh, nineteen to Chelsea seventeen. And then for clearances, man, West Brom was just booting that ball down the field, man. They got twenty four clearances to their to Chelsea's eleven. And then you know. This is where a game can get decided, you know, set pieces. We have a Chelsea corner tab at 10 corners for the game, and then West Brom was only able to get three corners for the game. I feel like if you get 10 set pieces, you should be able to pull something off to at least score one goal off of one of those dead balls. It's the easiest thing to do in soccer, score on a dead ball. The hardest thing to do in soccer is to score a goal. So, you know, those two hand-in-hand, they might help you out in the long run. Moving on, the next game of the weekend. Uh, We're still on Saturday, April 3rd. We have Leeds United hosting Sheffield United. Um, Game's pretty even. As far as the stats, I'm just glancing down at them first. You know, they're pretty even game. We have uh, Jack Harrison in the 12th minute for Leeds United, putting them up 1-0. Um, so they're up all the way up until the uh, halftime whistle. Ben Osborne for Sheffield in the 45th minute plus two injury time. So 47 minutes, 47 minutes into the game, Ben Osborne ties it up for Sheffield. The game's 1-1 as it goes into halftime. Both teams are given their halftime talks. Both teams made tactical adjustments if they, if either team needed to. I can almost guarantee both teams made a little tactical switches and substitutions at halftime. But the 49th minute, Phil Jagielka, which is a center back for Sheffield now, he scores an own goal and puts Leeds up 2-1. And if one thing, if Leeds can do one thing, it's... To defend a dang lead, they do not lose if they are winning. Like you know that some teams will give up late, cheap, lazy goals. Like how did you give that up? Well, that's not Leeds. As far as the stats go, we got Leeds United fifty-four percent possession to Sheffield's forty-five point nine. Sheffield's one shot on target was their one goal of the game. Uh, Leeds had eight shots on target. Uh, as far as total shots go, though, Leeds had 23 to Sheffield's nine. Touches almost an evenly matched. Same thing with passes. We have 688 touches for Leeds to Sheffield's 608. We got Leeds 491 passes to Sheffield's 410 passes. As far as the as far as the defensive standpoint of the game you know we got 17 tackles for Sheffield 15 for Leeds 22 clearances for Sheffield and 12 for Leeds it's the clearances and the tackles man they don't really seem to indicate that that team wins 
Like they'll be taking the advantage in the defensive stats of the game, but they'll still be the losing team. It's kind of crazy to me. Look, they even had like Sheffield. They had seven corners to Leeds five. Like, like I said in the last game, Chef uh, Chelsea had ten corners for their entire game, and they did not convert on one single corner. They lost five two. But imagine if they were able to, like, convert on at least two of those. You know? The game would be 5-4. And then there'd be an actual competition, not some blowout that no one really wants to watch. Unless you're me and don't really like Chelsea. Besides the fact that they have an American on the team. But other than that, Chelsea can lose by 30 goals every game for all I care. Next up, we have two heavyweight bouts. Uh, two top five teams. Um, we got the first place team, Chelsea, and then we got fourth place, uh, Leicester. Um, Leicester's still trying to stay in the hunt for a Champions League spot at the end of the season. Uh, if they can keep up with what they've been doing this season, they should be able to find themselves in there with no issue whatsoever. Along with Manchester United, um, and surprisingly enough, West Ham, they're, they're making a Hell of a run this season. They're uh, in third place right now, I believe. Or they're in fourth, or Leicester's in third, and they're in fourth, or vice versa. But moving on to the next game and the final game for Saturday, we had Manchester City, the first-place team, hosting a fourth-place Leicester. First goal of the game didn't come until the 58th minute. It was a very trying game. Both teams were just feeling each other, testing each other out, seeing who's going to break and give first, who's going to give up the first goal. Benjamin Mendy, 58 minute. He's a left back for Manchester City. He probably ran up to that left side of the field, did a give and go with their left winger, Raheem Sterling, and then just slotted one into the bottom corner of the net. Goalie didn't get a chance. Then we got um in this it was a oh it wasn't even an assisted goal it was self 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 assisted if you will so solo goal. And then in the seventy fourth minute, Gabriel Jesus, assisted by Raheem Sterling, puts the icing on the cape for Manchester City and finishes the game two nil. As far as the uh, stats go for the game, we got Manchester City taking the possession. With 56% to their 43% for Leicester. We have four shots on target for Manchester City with two shots for Leicester. 11 shots total for City. Five shots total for Leicester. 740 touches for Manchester City. And then we got 600 touches for Leicester. Seemed like a pretty dominant performance for Manchester City. They're they're by far the best team in their Premier League right now. Um, it's not even fair. It's really frustrating as a Manchester United fan because all you want to do is see your local town's team, like the Derby. So we got Manchester City versus Manchester United. Like two of the biggest soccer clubs in the world are both in the same city. Like that's bound to create a little bit of a uh, screw you mentality, you know, a little bit of a uh, loyalty to one team to the other, you know, a little bit of a uh, animosity even, rivalries if you will. Moving on to the next game of the weekend, we had a uh, 
a struggling Arsenal side taking on and hosting uh, of uh, an equally struggling Liverpool side. The former champions are falling into like ninth, tenth place or something like that right now. It's not looking good for them. The game didn't open up into the second half. Um, again, another another uh, tale of two tactically perfect coaches just ducking it out against each other's tactics, just testing each other's team, seeing who's going to break first, who's going to mess up first, who's going to lose the discipline first, you know? But we got Diago Jota in the 64th minute to make it a 1-0 game, assisted by Trent Alexander-Arnold, which is like a 19-year-old right back for Liverpool. The next goal of the game given by Egyptian talisman Mohamed Salah, uh, 68th minute. Uh, he's got a nasty left foot. I can almost put my life on this statement that he dribbled in from the right side, set it up for his left foot, and just curled one back post. I can almost see it in my own head. And then in the final 10 minutes of the game, Diago Jota again in the 82nd minute, Puts Liverpool up 3-0, leaving Arsenal rendered useless. Not a chance for them to come back against a Liverpool side that's that dominant. Winning, beating you 3-0 after struggling this entire season. As far as the statistics go for the game, we have Liverpool taking a 64.2% possession to Arsenal's 358 Liverpool had seven shots on target to Arsenal's two. We have 16 shots for Liverpool for Arsenal's three. And then the touches, man, we have almost 900 touches for Liverpool to 556 for Arsenal. And then the passes, man, this is where Jurgen Klopp, which is the coach for uh, Liverpool, he just excels. 700 passes to Arsenal's 300. I can't think of a better way to depict a dominant performance of a soccer club by looking other than by looking at their passes, touches, and possession. If those three statistics are extremely high in favor to the one team rather than the other, the team who's getting the short end of the stick, they're losing. Not a doubt in my mind, they are losing. And look at this, man. Arsenal winning in the defensive uh, statistics, bro. Like, Arsenal had 21 tackles to Liverpool's 18. Arsenal had 24 clearances to Liverpool's 10. You know, like, it's just one of those things where I just don't understand where if you're winning in the defensive department for stats, you're still losing the game. Uh, I have yet to see a game different in this entire episode. And then some cool head-to-head stats. These game, uh, these two teams have played fifty eight times, Arsenal versus Liverpool, and out of fifty eight games, Arsenal's won sixteen of them. Ten of them, ten of them have been home. Six of them have been away. Liverpool has won twenty three of them. Fifteen of them home. Eight of them away, and a total of nineteen draws between the two. That's a lot of club history between these two teams. Both teams have played almost 60. They've played each other almost 60 times. 
not in any like tournament sense. That is only their Premier League. They've had 58 Premier League meetings. And moving on to the next game, first game of the Sundays. First game on Sunday, April 4th. We have a Southampton FC, which is storming up the the table of the Premier League, taking other teams' places. They're hosting a, a fighting Burnley team right now. Burnley has this new sense of confidence and resurgence. I don't know what it is, man, but these past few games that I've watched them play, they've been playing different, but in a good way. They normally don't play the way that they are right now, man. Just this confidence that's just unmatched with the way that they're playing, like the passes that they're delivering to one another. They're just playing with such finesse and confidence that they're just trusting one another so much. The game starts out, again, both teams are just testing each other tactically. That's how every Premier League game starts. You don't want to give up an early goal because then you got to try extra hard to fight back and, you know, pull one back. And no one wants to, you know, work extra hard when you don't have to. Twelfth minute forward for Burnley, we got Chris Wood. Slots a penalty home for Burnley, puts them up 1-0 against Southampton. And then about 26 minutes, or excuse me, 16 minutes later, we got Matea Vidra in the 28th minute, putting them up 2-0. Burnley's up 2-0, first half. It's only the 30th minute, too. Stuart Armstrong comes two minutes later down the field for Southampton in the 31st minute, scores one for them. It's a 1-2, it's a 2-1 game. Then right before halftime, Danny Ings, which is a club legend for Southampton, scores for Southampton, ties the game up at 2-2 right before halftime. Halftime happens. They come back. Nathan Redmond comes on off of the bench, uh, assisted by Theo Walcott. Nathan Redmond, 66th minute, scores a goal for Southampton, puts him up to 3-2. Southampton holds on to that game and ends up winning. We got, for the stats, we have Southampton's 53.4% possession to Burnley's 46.6. Southampton's nine shots on target to Burnley's five. Southampton had a total of 24 shots while Burnley only had seven. 634 touches to 558. Southampton, again, 424 passes to Burnley's 352. Southampton had 40 clearances to, to Burnley's 28, though. And then Burnley had 18 tackles to Southampton's 14. Again, man, they have the corners. They had seven corners to six. Burnley takes the lead in that department. I just really want to see these teams start taking advantage of these set pieces and dead balls and dead games. Because if they can capitalize on just half of these corners or like half of these free kicks that they're getting. The scores of the games are going to be so much higher. Like it won't even be fair sometimes. Cause like, say you have one, one player on your team. That's just like head and shoulders taller than everybody else on the field. If you play a perfect ball into the box, you know, and all he does is just put his head behind the ball and he scores. Like, how do you stop that? 
I mean, obviously you can, you know, have somebody defend him even tighter and just nudge him, you know, bother him, don't let him get anything easy, that kind of stuff. But still, man, at the end of the day, you're getting 15 corners in your game and you're not even scoring on one of those chances. And coming up next, we have a feisty Jose Mourinho Tottenham team playing against a Newcastle team. Newcastle is one of those like middle of the table teams. They're always hard, gritty. They love to play. All they do, they they show up, show out, always give you a run for your money. It's never an easy game against them. And the reason why I say feisty Jose Mourinho, which is the coach for Tottenham, is because after this game he said something very, very uh, controversial. So let's talk about the game first. Twenty eighth minute, Jolington, which is the striker. Uh, for Newcastle, puts them up 1-0 against Tottenham. Tottenham quickly answers back with two Harry Kane goals in the 30th and 34th minute. Harry Kane's probably one of the best forwards in the world, best strikers in the world. His finishing is unparalleled. His finishing is absurd. And then in the 85th minute, Joseph Willick, Scores for Newcastle and salvages a point off of Tottenham, which is a top five team. And um, the reason, again, why I said feisty Jose Mourinho's Tottenham team is because after this game, he was asked, what's the problem with giving up these late goals and giving up points? And his quote was, same coach, different players. That was his answer. So he's blaming his players for giving up that late goal, not him and his own tactics. Jose Mourinho is known to be one of the most arrogant, not arrogant, but just like confident coaches. Like His track record speaks for himself, man. He has, he's got more trophies than he has days lived type of thing. Like, you know, he's just one of those coaching legends. Whenever he hangs up his uh, coat, he's going to go down as one of the greats, especially for Porto because uh, he was the first manager to ever bring Porto to the Champions League and then wins it with Porto. As far as the stats go for the game, we got Tottenham 58% possession to Newcastle's 42. Newcastle's six shots on target to Tottenham's five. Newcastle had 22 shots total to Tottenham's 11. And then uh, as far as the touches go, we have Tottenham with 714 to Newcastle's 550. Then we have 530 passes to 340 passes in favor of Tottenham. And another cool stat for you, all these teams have played 52 times total, 8 draws. And then we got 22 wins for Newcastle and 22 wins for Tottenham, man. We got a split head-to-head. That's funny. Split head-to-head contest right here. Can't separate them through 52 meetings. On to our fourth to last game of the weekend. We have a nice Aston Villa team hosting a hungry, aggressive Fulham team. Game starts very, very slow. Very slow. First goal doesn't happen until the 61st minute, and it's an Alexander Mitrovic Fulham goal. Easy slide rule pass straight into his feet. Slots it into the bottom corner of the net. Easy, done, the game started 1-0. And then we got an Alexander Trezeguet 
for Aston Villa scoring in the 78th minute to tie it and then to put them up one, assisted by Keenan Davis in the 81st minute. He scores again to make it a 2-1 game, Aston Villa against Fulham. And then Ollie Watkins, which is their new striker that they uh, brought in and through the uh, youth programs for Aston Villa, he scores in the 87th minute, makes it a 3-1 game, and that just finishes off Fulham for the night. Uh, they're not coming back after that. No team can. Coming back, to uh, scoring three goals to win it, two goals to tie it, and only basically virtually having only four or five minutes to do it. As far as the stats go, we have Aston Villa's 52% possession to Fulham's 47. Fulham had seven shots on target to Aston Villa's four. 15 shots total, though, for Fulham to Aston's 14. And then as far as the passing and offensive part in game manipulation goes, we have Aston Villa taking the lead in that department. 633 touches to Fulham's 580. And then their 420 passes to Fulham's 380. Now moving on to the, the only game that mattered this weekend, which was our... Manchester United hosting a Brighton Hove Albion team. Game starts off, you know, like I was saying earlier, both teams usually test each other out tactically. You're going to see who's going to break first, who's going to make the first mistake, you know. Manchester United got unlucky, uh, cleared the ball out, fell right into West Brom's hands or feet, if you will. They dribbled down the right side. Um... Danny Welbeck in the 13th minute receives a cross from the right side. He heads it straight into the goalie. The goalie saves it. Dean Henderson for Man U saves it, but deflects it straight back into his path while he's still running from his header. And he just gets the ball right back after getting it saved and scores. So that means Manchester United is is on a mission now. Manchester United always plays their best when they're a man down. I hate it. Or not a man down, but a goal down. I hate that that's the truth, but whenever they go a goal down, they seem to show up and show out, man. So, you know, halftime 1-0, Brighton's up. Marcus Rashford playing on an injury scores in the 62nd minute off of a beautiful goal. Comes off. He gets substituted out right after that. Um, He scores his goal to tie it. And then he gets brought off because we had a Europa League game a few days later and we didn't want to hurt his injury or, you know, run the risk of him, you know, aggravating an injury even more than it already is. And then in the 83rd minute, um, assisted by a Paul Pogba cross, Mason Greenwood heads a goal in for Manchester United and makes it a 2-1 game. Uh, Manchester United wins 2-1. Game finishes. As far as the possession goes, we have Manchester United with 57% to West Brom's 42, or excuse me, to Brighton and Hove Albion's 42%, excuse me. Seven shots on target for Man U to Brighton's three. 15 shots total for Man U to Brighton's five. 800 touches to Brighton's 600. 600 passes to Brighton's 400. And again, man, the losing team winning the defensive stats. Brighton, who lost, has 20 tackles to Manchester United's 13. 
19 clearances to their 17, and then 6 corners to their 5. Again, you can make another argument about if you can put away your chances at set pieces, you will win the game. Moving on to the second to last game of the weekend, we have a Crystal Palace playing against Everton. A very good game to watch. Really, really good teams playing against each other. These are both middle of the table, but they both want to, you know, do better than middle of the table. They're both hungry, and they both have really good talent to get them higher than just the middle of the table finish. But I'm going to run through these last two games quickly because nothing nothing interesting happened. They were both pretty boring. Both of them are ties. Um, this game finished 1-1. First goal came in the 56th minute from a James Rodriguez Evertonian goal. And then Crystal Palace in the 86th minute, assisted by Jeffrey Schloop. Michi Batshuayi scores and ties it up, and both teams share a point. Um, as far as the possession goes, split 50-50. Shots on target, Everton's favored 15-6. to Total shots, they're favored again 15-13. to um, the touches, pretty even. We got 680 for Crystal to 640 for Everton. And then the last game of the weekend, we have um, a West Ham playing against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And like I said, we have West Ham United coming up and coming in hard here as of late. Um, they've been on the, the up and up trying to get in the Champions League. They weren't even like thought to even compete at this level to maintain a fourth place slash third place you know position in the um table for the premier league uh they're coached by david moyes um who used to coach for man u but was sacked after his like first two seasons uh the first goal of the game comes in the sixth minute uh, from a Jesse Lingard goal. Jesse Lingard is a Manchester United player. He's just on loan for West Ham right now. He wasn't getting a whole lot of minutes and a whole lot of opportunity under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which is the coach from Man U. So we sent him out on loan to a team out in London. Pretty good team. The Hammers, West Ham. And uh, he's been loving it there. He's been averaging at least a goal or an assist every single game. So the sixth minute comes around, they're up 1-0. Pablo Fernal's 14th minute puts them up 2-0. West Ham is on a tear. West Ham goes up to 3-0 before halftime. Jared Bowen, 38th minute, puts them up 3-0. And then right before the halftime whistle, Leander Dendonker, which is a center back slash center mid for Wolverhampton, scores in the 44th minute. It makes it a 3-1 game right before halftime. Gives them some kind of confidence right before the halftime whistle and right before their halftime talk. And then in the 68th minute, Fabio Silva, which is like an 18-year-old forward that they signed because they're a number one striker, which is um, which is a Mexican striker named Raul Jimenez. He has... um. He had, like, a brain contusion and stuff, man. Like, he got knocked out in a game. He had surgery. He had a brain operation to reduce the swelling and had to let the blood out of there and stuff. But anyways, they signed this 
18-slash-17-year-old Portuguese forward named Fabio Silva since their lead strikers hurt. And he's been uh, okay. He's been pretty spotty, though. I mean, look, you can't expect a teenager to come in and perform as well as a 30-year-old veteran who's been playing the game his entire life. You know? He's been playing the game of soccer longer than Fabio's been alive. Like, that's my thing. Can't expect him to be the same kind of player or even as good, you know? You know, I'm honestly surprised Wolverhampton lost this game now that I'm reading these stats. We got a 66% possession in their favor. 20 shots in their favor, but only five of them were on target. Almost 900 touches to West Ham's 500. 628 passes to West Ham's 300. Yeah, they, I do not know how West Ham held on, man. They must have had some defense, boy. Like, even their tackles aren't there. Wolverhampton's beating them in tackles 20-11. The only thing that West Ham beat them in was clearances, and that was 21-14. to That's crazy, man. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to my sixth episode of Dooley's Premier League Update. Uh, Luckily, this week I was able to only talk about the Premier League matches from the past week, whereas the last episode I had to talk about Europa League and Champions League matches. Um, Next week's episode, I'm going to be back to that as well, though, so I can't really say too much. I'll be talking about Europa League and Champions League, and um, depending on how much time left I have after that, I'll go into the Premier League from the week. But thank you guys again for listening. I'll see you guys next time. Peace.